Good morning and welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. Taking a break from reading about Stoicism. Get a little heady. And I wanted to do a podcast, a little more stream of consciousness. I haven't done that in a good minute. And felt it was relevant to do so. And so I just kind of came up with a list of sort of things that were on my mind. And the first one that came to my mind was this idea of sickness and healing. This is a popular topic in my world. And I came across a quote that I thought was quite important. It said, you are only as sick as your secrets. And... This, to me, felt like a really powerful statement uh, in the sense that we're not really sick. No one's really sick. What does it mean to be sick? There's something messed up or wrong with you. And I think it was uh, Jay Krishnamurti who said, it is no indication of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So maybe we need to kind of step back and start like what we're talking about with sick. We're not talking about having COVID. We're talking about uh, mental health, perhaps. We're talking about being balanced. We're talking about being well-adjusted, like Jay Krishnamurti is saying. And this, these two quotes, I think, are, are really interesting when it comes to like why people come for healing and why people feel that they need to resolve things in their life these two quotes i think get at something that speak to our situation the first being you are only as sick as your secrets and it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society in a lot of ways my reflections observations experiences moving through the world studies listening to different wise people so to speak is that sickness in a lot of ways is an absorption of cultural and social behavioral patterns that are ultimately completely out of balance with nature right and we said we weren't going to talk about stoicism, but, you know, that quote, you're only as sick as your secrets, I've heard from stoicism. And also this idea of being in alignment with nature as a stoic principle. That is where we are trying to reorient ourselves and establish ourselves in a connection with nature and in right relationship with nature. So when we're falling out of balance, when we've experienced disequilibrium and we are finding ourselves to the point where perhaps even our physical system is out of balance it oftentimes can lead us into a place where we feel alienated isolated like there's something wrong with us as an individual and our observation around us is that uh, other people are doing fine And we have a tendency to judge other people's outsides uh, by our insides. (laughs) 
And and actually what I mean by that is more, I think you're judging other people's insides by their outsides. I think that's more what I'm trying to express. Nonetheless, we're always judging people by our own insides, if that makes sense, because we can never fully escape that. But when we are caught up in this place of doing this, we are failing to see that we are all caught up in the same soup we are all caught up in the same situation to a certain degree and we are all influencing one another and keeping each other in a certain sense entrapped in these sort of social matrices right and the idea of you're only as sick as your secrets i think in a lot of ways this is sort of the premise of 12-step programs where we are going to a room to be entirely uh, transparent about what's happening inside of us. And, you know, I don't attend the 12-step programs. I did go to AA for like a really short period of time. I was not an alcoholic. I just definitely wanted to stop drinking. <laughs> this was when I was in college. I think I was, uh, it went when I was like 21, something like that. I was not drinking excessively. It was just obviously contributing to like mental health issues that I was having at the time and specifically anxiety and stress low self-esteem insecurity things like that so I went to AA for like you know four or five times or something like that you know it became obvious I was like I'm definitely not an alcoholic uh you know but I I had a desire to stop drinking and that was ultimately the um the only prerequisite so to speak for attending in a certain way you know you don't have to be an alcoholic but you have to have a desire to stop drinking and to remain sober and it's interesting right when you go there because you can just be like yeah i'm messed up there's something that is out of balance with me and that's why i'm here and immediately going into that environment and saying that and having it be felt heard experienced and accepted and unessentially welcomed by others who equally feel the same way suddenly like profound healing and release comes through and it's like why because we're only as sick as our own secrets because there seems to be this incredibly intense stigma around uh, mental health in our society where it's like, for some reason, it's perceived as uh, being weak if you're struggling with something related to like depression or anxiety. And this is a very strange concept in a lot of ways, right? It's a very funny thing because if you look around at the society we're living in, like, there's an opioid epidemic, there's uh, the massive issues with the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the number of people medicated and totally messed up when it comes to things like obesity, tobacco addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, all the pharmaceutical drugs that people are on, the terrible food that people eat and obesity, just the long list of things, internet addiction, phone addiction, just all the stuff that people are completely caught up in on a mass scale that we accept for normal like you got to look at it like what we accept for normal 
is totally toxic and insane. Yet there is a stigma around acknowledging that what is normal is totally decrepit. And it's just a very fascinating thing. Uh, I saw some clip, I don't know where it was, on Instagram like several months ago of like an MMA fighter who after he wins a match, he's like yelling about, not yelling in an angry way, but you know, he's speaking loud as everyone's cheering. He said something along the lines about how like, uh, the, the what we're talking about here, the stigma around mental health and how you know people need to speak up if they're struggling with that and i just think it's a it's just a fascinating thing right that there is such a stigma around the acknowledgement that one is having mental health issues and and that we characterize it as weak and it's almost like there's this kind of like hyper masculine thing about it like oh no you got to be tough you know you got to have uh you got to be strong you know this whole thing and it's it's an interesting thing right because when you are struggling with those issues they do actually if you manage them in the right way make you really strong as a person because you do have to deal with such a constant and incessant degree of adversity and i can know from my own life that like struggling with uh anxiety in the way that i was you know over 10 years ago it drove me in a very intense way. It made me, you know, travel out to India, started practicing meditation. I got sober, uh, started exercising, started doing music, art, looking to um, essentially change society. I was already looking to do some kind of impactful work in that world, uh, or feeling like I could, you know, not just be a consumer of culture, but a creator, so to speak. And I remember just being in a state of recognition where I noticed that there was systems in place, cultural programs in place, social norms in place that created, perpetuated, and sustained mental health and uh, toxic behavioral patterns. And... So in a sense, like, I recognized the problem within myself and then vowed to say, like, hey, this can't continue or I don't want to see this continue, so I'm going to do what I can to make an effort to change it. So in a lot of ways, right, it's like to sit around and be a victim of circumstances and to blame what happened and to say this is a terrible thing and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, like, that's not going to empower you. So it's not a good approach to take. And I talk a lot about that on this podcast all the time, about, like, don't be a victim and, you know, rise up to the, the challenges that life is throwing at you. Um, but sometimes, like, the way to do that is through a position, essentially, of, like, vulnerability, honesty, and definitely humility. So it's kind of a funny thing where... A lot of times, like, you know, when Christ says, like, the meek shall inherit the earth. This is, it's kind of this paradoxical thing. And it comes back to the same premise in, like, martial arts, right? Whereas you are becoming stiff and, like, really intense and fixed and rigid, you become broken. But if you're really, like, loose and weak and are able to move more in like the feminine receptivity of things which on surface level appearances does not seem to have a position of strength oriented around it 
but ultimately that is the position that allows you to overcome your opponent so the parallel that i'm drawing here is this idea that you know acknowledging like one's own struggles is a doorway not just to healing but also empowerment and the culture is completely backwards the culture is like you got to be tough and you got to have like which you do have to be tough you do have to be really strong but what i'm suggesting is that the doorway to the strength and the toughness and the fortitude and the perseverance is actually through the acknowledgement that there is something out of balance and that once we acknowledge there's something out of balance it can guide us life that is can guide us into practices teachings in a way of relating to ourselves and others where we then cultivate you know this mentality of inner strength so it's a kind of a, like a funny paradox there and this is something i've heard my teachers say a lot like all the teachings are paradoxical so it's like if you want true power and true strength it's like you have to give it all up it says in the Tao Tai Ching and just going to keep coming back to this premise about like things related to mental health so just looking around at the culture like you know I went to Home Depot last night and I was like I'm going to get a Subway sandwich <laughs> I was like I haven't had a Subway sandwich in a while they have a good veggie patty and just like observing people and things on the surface of course but just seeing like just the level of of imbalance with a lot of people and things they're struggling with that becomes so apparent when left undealt with um just talking to the guy making the sandwich for me it's like man this guy seems like he's on crack right now or something <laughs> it's just not funny but just like the energy is like the, the intensity that where people are at and it makes you just wonder how people manage to get through daily situations are living in the culture that is a com entirely a culture of denial and a compounding of trauma and so chognam trungpa just talked about like enlightenment he's like don't worry about enlightenment he said just focus on returning to sanity and i think that's like a really important concept for people who are searching for real healing can you just return to sanity and focus solely on that because that will guide you into a place i feel of, of true revelation and oftentimes too like you know when people are dealing with like a mental health crisis and i you know a lot of ways i don't really like that word mental health crisis it just sounds too clinical uh it's you know, I like how people say, like, you have, like, a spiritual emergency, or you have, like, a shamanic crisis or something, or you have, like, an awakening experience, and you're in an environment that has not yet fully matured to the place where it can even begin to recognize those experiences. And so its way of essentially dealing with you is to give you medications and shut everything down and basically block it out of your system and your awareness uh, and then to perhaps go down the route of like psychoanalysis and try to find just talk about things for a while you know for 200 bucks an hour <laughs> which might be great in some ways for some people you know just no 
but in a lot of ways it can be an enormous waste of time and ultimately like a dampening of the experience preventing you from really understanding fully like what is actually happening and so this idea of returning to sanity they think this has to be like our fundamental uh compass like that's what we're looking for and i think the value is that if you are able to recognize that you are imbalanced and you need to return to sanity that is sanity right there speaking that is sanity peeking its eyes through going wait a minute this is not the way to go there needs to be a shift here recognizing you're imbalanced is a, is sanity coming through and that that's something that i've told a lot of people who have been struggling with anxiety and depression and other things related to that type of state of consciousness is just that if there's a part of you that's seeing hey <laughs> this is not normal this is not what uh this is not where i should be this is not how things are supposed to be unfolding <clears throat> this is not my ideal striving state that i'm looking for if you can get to a place where you're recognizing that then that is sanity coming through so then connect with that and then that will guide you into what you need to do to rebalance yourself and uh, you know, this is also like something that is a unavoidable process too, right? Like having emotional ups and downs and finding yourself caught in those is uh, quite normal in a lot of ways. Like that's why for thousands of years, virtually every culture across the globe had these uh shamanic connections to nature and mystical connection and mystical forces and an acknowledgement of that embedded in ordinary cultural framework and a lot of traditional native societies having a sweat lodge in the home was like a really standard thing for resolving uh interpersonal conflict so on to create peace in that way that's a pretty standard thing but as we became more divided from each other and became more mechanized in a lot of ways we lost touch with you know what it means to be human on many levels and so we have become way too caught up in our persona in our presentation of ourselves to other people in the superficiality of our relations and our expressions where we're not really ever talking to anybody there was a guy <laughs> who came uh, to give a talk at the Golden Drum. And our teacher, Meisherman Well, was speaking next to him. And this guy was like a healer from Africa. And they were just talking about the uh, just the environment that we live in, in the city, in Brooklyn, New York City, that is. And this woman was like, how do you connect to these forces and these experiences and just other people when you live in this vast vast city and uh, the the healer from africa he was kind of like struggling a little bit to reach the woman although i felt like what he was saying had some validity to it he was just the woman wasn't really she kept kind of interrupting him it was like but this but that and, and it's coming back to the same premise of like we live in this huge place how do you find connection to other people how do you deal with like 
the um, the, the existential alienation of, of this type of reality where it's not like there's a little village where everyone knows everybody and we have a sense of you know status but instead there's just this intense alienation and if I'm pronouncing it right anonymity <laughs> I can't pronounce the word whatever you know what I'm saying? Just this like idea of like no one knows me. I don't know me. Who am I? And this this and this dread, right? Like this angst that comes through the whole thing. And uh, my teacher, my well kind of interjected, and he's like, "We think that we live in a big city, but we don't. We just go from one small box into our other small box to get to the other box where we sit at a box and we stare at a box." And then we go back home the exact way we came and we probably interact with like two people the entire day in an extremely fake and artificial way. And like this is, <laughs> it was very funny the way that it was expressed. And this is the premise that we are not really experiencing one another. And what happens when we start to fully experience one another like in a daily living type of situation is we begin to understand what it means to be human a little bit more clearly because if you're just living by yourself and these issues arise then there's something wrong with me because i'm going around looking at everyone else and everyone else is okay but when you're living in a intimate community then you can begin to see how what you're experiencing is something that is uh present in all people like everybody gets depressed at some moment Anxiety in a lot of ways to me from my experience of it is this idea that there's something that wants to come forward from within you, but it's been blocked. It's not able to move and it creates like a pathology and neuroses and intense pain at certain moments. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's a very normal thing when it becomes to an extreme point, that's not normal. And in a lot of ways, uh, that could be said like once you are able to get out of your own little bubble out of your own going from one box to another box in my observation experience that tends to uh that thing that was stuck tends to move quite a bit and so a lot of the issues right that are creating all these uh shamanic spiritual emergencies mental health crises whatever word we want to use to describe it is in a lot of ways like a byproduct of our social living experience in my opinion and our lack of connection with nature and also a failure to understand what it means to be human which is that it is normal to go through intense and uh overwhelming emotional experiences and to also have like a doorway within ourselves that is able to access unexplained dimensions of the psyche, shamanic experiences and so on. That's a very normal thing. That's why it was present in all these cultures for thousands of years. But the more mechanized and rational we became, uh, the more we have fragmented from that awareness. And not just like fragmented from it, but essentially like blocked it off almost consciously and not i wouldn't say consciously like oh we're gonna block off those experiences because we don't want people to know the truth but more along the lines of people who are accessing 
those states of consciousness are becoming a threat to the system, so we're going to block off doorways to those places. And I remember watching, like, a History Channel documentary on, like, psychedelics, like, a long time ago. And Richard Nixon essentially, there's a, you know, they have a copy of the letter where he wrote, the new left is oftentimes affiliated with marijuana and psychedelics, and so a good way to target them would be to make those things illegal because they're becoming disruptive and they are protesting things like the war in Vietnam and so on and so forth. And so this is a great way to target them. And, and obviously, like, things with ganja and stuff was a way to target minorities so out of racist policies back in the day like in the 30s or something like that it became illegal so i wouldn't say so much it's like oh if you take these things you'll know the truth it's more along the lines of the system is feeling threatened by people who are taking them and it's a good way to just immediately target those people and shut down their movements is to basically look at what they're taking it, you know, if there was any concern about public safety or health, then immediately alcohol and tobacco would be the first things that they would target. But it, it was a political motion. So, uh, this, I, this idea, right, is that we're trying to express that having these kind of struggles inside is something that's actually quite normal. And it's something that it has been like welcomed and embraced in most traditional societies for thousands of years. And I've talked a lot about black elk, right? And this idea that uh, when one person is sick, the whole community is sick. And so after black elk came down from doing a vision quest, he goes to uh, reenact the vision that he had that initially made him really sick. And then the whole community participates in the reenactment of his vision almost like a theater and then after that moment he is deemed a healer and then he goes around and heals thousands of people uh for the rest of his life and so once the um the experience of like the shamanic state of consciousness that he accessed becomes integrated and normalized in the culture then it's no longer a problem it's a gift and this is like the this is the central thing perhaps I'm trying to get at is that right coming back to you, you're only as sick as your secrets black elk was never sick he was great <laughs> he was doing awesome everything was cool but the problem was he was like a nine-year-old boy that had this overwhelming experience and he was too afraid to talk about it and he didn't know what to do about it and so it turned him inwards to a point that was way out of balance and so they had to go through this very intense process to bring him out of it for him to then become empowered from the experience. And so essentially, like, what happened, right, is that his secret of the sickness became something very public and acknowledged and welcomed and embraced. And in that process, the person uh, was healed, and then able to heal other people. And like this is just a really, I think this is just a very fascinating thing to think about, right? Because if you had institutionalized him, he just would have stayed like that forever. Or if you had just medicated him, he would have just remained in this like totally pathological, even though that's not maybe the right word, but like a disoriented state of consciousness for sure. But instead, you take the thing that is 
the deepest fear, shame, or crises, and you bring it forefront to the community and allow the community to uh, integrate it and normalize it and celebrate it, and then all of a sudden the person is able to be healed and then help many, many, many people. And like that's a real beautiful thing, right, in the, in the Lakota culture obviously a much more mature and wise culture than the one that we currently live in um, because they're able simply to acknowledge that these crises states of consciousness are a natural part of being human they are a part of nature there's something that is not necessarily a um, it's not a deformity of the human experience it's an integral part of the human experience and essentially a necessary one because you need people like black elk to go out and then heal other people to help other people to be of service and benefit to people especially those dealing with similar or uh, other types of struggles that there are not obvious treatments for so these are just like just some interesting thoughts I had that all kind of stem from this quote that I came across. If you were only as sick as your secrets, this idea that like when we stuff everything down inside, it will destroy us. And there's some quote in the Bible that says, bring forth what is inside you or what is inside you will destroy you. And I, I've really meditated on that one for quite some time. And, and uh, you know, this is also why there's this clip of Terrence McKenna talking about culture is not your friend. It's like culture is not your friend. Culture is like the enemy in a lot of ways because when you are, it's toxifying the earth, it's toxifying human relationship, it's relationship to ourselves, it's destroying everything around us in a lot of ways. And of course, like saying culture is not your friend, like the very vague and general statement, but I think at least just on surface level expression, we understand what he's talking about when you go look at things like oil spills and the mass production of things like benzo pharmaceutical drugs and you know genocide and war and so on all these things we under we understand like what what he's getting at we don't need to over analyze it we understand what he's saying and he also then people say like okay well how do you fight back and he says you know through art i think through art we fight back through self-expression and to me that is a um reflection of what that quote from the bible is Bring forth what is inside you or what is inside you will destroy you. We need to open ourselves up and acknowledge those um, buried states of consciousness, those things that we're like afraid of, and bring forth what is it, what has come through and what we have connected to and find a way to make it digestible for others. And at the same time, we're not like... We're not worried about if other people are going to have this uh, same experience of what we're creating. It's not a, It's not like about um, pleasing people or trying to um, get everyone's, you know, wow, oh my God, <laughs> whatever, you know, that thing. It's, it's more about we're trying to do like a purgative surgery on ourselves. And in the process of doing so, we're hoping that it can... Uh, illuminate something for others at the same time. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. That's just the way it is. It's fine. You know, if you've ever been in, in a ceremonial context, 
and someone goes through an intense purging process, you know that that actually is very beneficial for everyone else in the room. It helps move the energy in the room. Um, and purging, right, can look like many things, like laughing, crying, shaking, you know, actually puking, whatever it is. And the person goes through that process, suddenly, like, you can feel the room. <sighs> There's, like, this sense of, like, I feel your pain, I feel the process you're going through, and I also feel the catharsis that you're releasing, and, like, thank you for that. So it's a benefit to purge, and art, in a sense, is a purge. Uh, and one that should be felt by others. But at the same time, right, we're not doing it just... We're not trying to, like, dress it up necessarily for others. It's not about pleasing people, you know. That's something that I think is just an important thing to acknowledge consistently in the process of creating from this place is that oftentimes what needs to come forward might not really be the thing that everyone is ready to just acknowledge right away and of course too, look at vincent van gogh vincent van gogh basically i think he sold one painting or 12 paintings or something like that to his i think it was like his cousin i read all of vincent van gogh's letters years ago i went to amsterdam and uh it was interesting i i took some mushrooms and i went inside of a um flotation tank super uncomfortable experience i don't recommend it <laughs> it was great when i got out and uh i was we, we were walking around and i remember we had just gone to the van gogh museum and the Rijksmuseum, which are right next to each other and i, I almost was in a place of tears because i was thinking about you know vincent van gogh was someone that used to walk through the Rijksmuseum and just think about the amazing artists that were there and always you know, will, he, will I ever accomplish anything to be acknowledged at that level? Uh, I think he would ask something like that. And then he dies thinking he's a failure. His, I think it was his brother or cousin, I can't remember, who purchases just a handful of his paintings. A lot of people think he never sold anything, but that's not true. He sold a couple to one of his family members. Um, and he dies thinking he's a total failure. And then they build him. Because his work is so immaculate and divine, they build him his own museum that is constantly filled with people that is right next to the Rijksmuseum. It's almost like, no, your work is too good to be in here. It deserves its own thing, and we're going to put it right next to the building that you you wished you, your work could have been in. But it's like, it's too good to be in that building. We're going to make you your own building. <laughs> so if you're ever in Amsterdam, don't take mushrooms and go and sit in a flotation tank. It's totally uncomfortable. But uh, go see the Vincent Van Gogh exhibit. Not necessarily on mushrooms, but go see it. This was uh, I, this was like back in like 2014. I was there, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So Vincent Van Gogh is like a perfect example in a lot of ways, right? Because he was someone that suffered from quote unquote mental illness, and he was able to bring forth this amazing doorway and dimension of divinity through his artwork. And he never perhaps fully, quote-unquote, healed from what he was struggling with. But at the very least, he was able to leave behind a amazing insight into the human psyche on many levels. Not just through his work, but also through his personal story. And 
right there you have a good example of like what happens when somebody is able to access these states of consciousness but they don't have the proper social structure around them such as like black elk for instance and this is why i felt within myself uh you know a long time ago the importance in cultivating like proper structures socially speaking around an understanding of these states of consciousness uh because in a lot of ways right it's like the person's not sick like vincent van gogh in a lot of ways not really sick it's like there probably could have been a simple way to heal him but the problem was there was no cultural support and so the person's put in a mental hospital they cut off their ear they become an alcoholic they're totally fragmented and alienated but had there been a more effective way for him to create balance within himself and acceptance in the social norm maybe he would have been able to continue his paintings but simultaneously um you know be like a teacher for a lot of people uh and not just from like an artistic and painting perspective but just through life and how to create like emotional mental balance in one person in a person so this idea right where you're only as sick as our secrets and how do we create the necessary circumstances uh, in order to allow people to feel safe in opening up and being vulnerable and understanding that by holding oneself up to the light of what they have gone through is the doorway to freedom while simultaneously not having a person over identify it with that and that's been a really interesting thing within my own journey has been like having had intense experiences but understanding the importance of not identifying with them both the positive and the negative right because if you have been traumatized by someone let's say you had childhood trauma or something by somebody a long time ago and it happened 40 years ago and you're still telling yourself the story about it constantly is that really something that is empowering you at this point is that really bringing the thing to light or are you ruminating over something that should have died a long time ago and for each person it's different i suppose because if you've never had any opportunity to express anything about it then yeah there probably is it's probably due time to speak of it but if it's been a story that you've been holding on to forever and ever and ever then it's like okay this is no longer in service of you and it's just become a identity platform and it's become something for you to feel secure and balanced on and it's time to just fully let go of it because it's actually only uh keeping you holding you down it's not we're not we're not releasing anything we're keeping you stuck and so this is like a i think of an interesting dance here is learning how to acknowledge and make light of our demons and share but also not become attached to it and not become over identified with it and not construct a story with it where we, we are a victim or we are unable to see ourselves outside of that story and i was talking to someone the other day uh just about how to approach 
some sort of work that we were doing with like an emotional hygiene, so to speak. And, you know, the person came to me asking about it. And, uh, and I was saying that you need to just look at your mind and your emotions as the weather. There's no need to get totally worked up and bent out of shape when there's a storm. It's like, okay, there's a storm right now. But we know because we've been around long enough that it's going to be sunny soon enough. There's nothing to get upset about. We don't need to start telling ourselves a story and then trying to figure out what went wrong, like why all of a sudden the sky is dark in the middle of the day. We need to approach it like with some steadfastness and patience and perseverance being like, okay, I see that it's stormy, cloudy, and dark right now. Highly electrical. <laughs> I trust that it's going to be really sunny and nice soon enough. So just treat your mind and your emotions like the weather. And understand that if you keep getting caught up in the story and you keep telling yourself that same story over and over again about how, oh my God, something horrible has gone wrong because it looks and feels like this, then you're going to have an infinitely more difficult time in pulling yourself out of it. And the idea here that I like is philosophy is like armor. And when I say philosophy, right, this is more like the stoic perspective. This is not like talking about heavily hard to understand concepts, overly intellectual things about reality and blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about like practical dharma and uh, character development-based philosophy, things related to our interpersonal relationships uh, the Stoic teachings in particular, the Buddhist teachings in particular, uh, these ideas of how can we uh, take control of our character and this idea that philosophy is our armor. And, you know, if these like states of consciousness that are terrifying and difficult to integrate and we don't have a, uh, a roadmap for them... <laughs> If that's the terrain, then the philosophy we have is the armor. The dharma we have is the armor. Is the armor. Dharma is the armor. That's a little more wordy. <laughs> Tricky to say. And I think that is like an important thing to understand. And that that I've said this before many times. why I do this podcast. Because this podcast is essentially my way of armoring myself. Because it's a study of philosophy. It's a study of dharma. And that needs to be a daily practice in a lot of ways because we need to consistently train our mind on how to deal with stress, adversity, psychosis, fear, uh, temptation, all these things. We need, we, need, we need to train it. We need to armor it so that it doesn't find itself uh, susceptible to these forces. And... One of the phrases that I really love from our teacher, Maestro Manuel, he said is that control of one's character is fate and a failure to control one's character is karma reinforced. So it's this idea of we want to become free because that fundamentally that's what this whole thing is about. It's not about saving the world or about um, raising a happy family or becoming a fantastic artist, or any of that stuff. It's about freedom. Whatever the heck that means, I don't know. But but I have a, the, to me, when I say that 
freedom, that word, I'm like, that's the, that's the, what we're looking at, what we're trying to go more than anything else. And so if we re, if we orient ourselves that direction of freedom, right, whatever that means, that's where we're trying to get to state of liberation. Cause all these other things like happy, you know, like a happy family or, you know, quote unquote, saving the world. Like all these things are fundamentally impossible because everything dies. Death is a necessary part of life. And why is it a necessary part of life? Because there's the transient nature of things. The, there's something about not getting fixed on anything. Everything is moving around. Everything is shifting its position. So there is no freedom to be found in these illusionary static things. Because they're not static. They're, they're changing. So you get fixed up on anything, it will go away. There will be pain and sorrow and loss so having a happy family happy community becoming successful becoming rich famous uh being able to have a fulfilling life through your work even that in a lot of ways is not in and of itself deep freedom although of course to have a fulfilling life to be fulfilled fulfillment is an aspect of freedom anyways i think you grasp what i'm trying to say but the main point is we want to just orient ourselves towards like this freedom. We're trying to move towards freedom. And a control of one's character is a very effective way to do that, according to the people who have come before us. So this idea that through philosophy, we can start to control our character through dharma, and through practice, through practices, we can control our character. And we can harness our will, yogically speaking, and channel it in a direction which leads us to expansiveness and freedom. This is the study that we need to bring upon ourselves daily. And it needs to be a daily practice because our minds have been trained to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society and you know i love there's that quote from marcus aurelius i think it, in meditations where he's just writing to himself and he says you know i mean these the comforter is very cozy but that's not why you were sent here to be comfortable and cozy you were sent here to get up and do your duty the uh the forces around us are tricking us into becoming comfortable complacent lazy apathetic unappreciative and ungrateful and so it is within our it is essential that we channel our willpower to counteract these forces and to transcend our habitual way of relating to life and to not be lazy right we sat with the Hunikun elder, and throughout the night, you would just go, Don't be lazy. <laughs> and uh, just like this question you have to ask yourself, like, are you willing to do what it takes? Right? Are you willing to do what it takes to move forward? Or are you going to be lazy and complacent? And are you going to take risks? Or are you going to cling to what's static, stationary, and known 
and allow life to totally uh, overtake you in that respect. You know, there's a great phrase that says, for those who are willing, the fates lead, and for those who are unwilling, they drag. (laughs) I think that's a really... uh, a funny way to put it as to why we should not be lazy it's like do you want to be dragged or do you want to be leading your own you know mission so to speak do you want to lead your own charge or would you rather be dragged into the situation so the recommendation right is to just simply say yes to life say yes to what life is asking you what is what is life asking you ask yourself that question that's like a really important question what is life asking of me to do Maybe life is asking you to sleep in. I don't know. Maybe you need to catch up on some sleep. That's okay. But can you say yes to life? That is, in many ways, one of the most difficult things to really find yourself doing is to simply say yes to life. That's what fundamentalists have an impossible time doing. And that's why they have to kill everybody. (laughs) Like, no, life is not okay. We need to go back to where it was when everything was pure. And because we can't go backwards, we're just going to kill everyone until everything is in a place of like total, you know, primitive destruction where we can't think beyond good and evil, something along those lines. So recommendation is to expedite your evolution by saying yes to life. And understand that there are challenges and circumstances and limitations, but simultaneously opportunities within all of those constrictions around you for growth and transformation and self-discovery and awakening. But if we're too busy cursing and victimizing ourselves and what's happening around us and politicizing everything, we can never simply say yes to life. We can't just bring forth joy and compassion and celebration and excitement and creativity because we're too busy getting caught up in cursing everything so this is a really good way to make sure that we are controlling our characters that we're saying yes to life we're not sleeping in in the morning we're not uh condemning those around us we're not behaving like a belligerent person we're saying like okay yeah there are people every day that are aggressive judgmental tyrannical they don't listen they're ungrateful they're um deceiving but they're part of the environment they're part of the ecosystem and somehow it wouldn't be whole without them they're part of the whole thing too suffering pain betrayal loss agony all these things like somehow the thing wouldn't be whole if those things weren't here so i have to say yes to those things and like that's a very courageous perspective that is like you know it's much easier to simply condemn life like that's on an automatic response like that's what a baby does right they condemn life like you take away the tv or whatever it is that they're fixated on toy or deny them what they're craving and they scream and they throw themselves and they throw a fit and they are in a panic because they can't 
handle accepting how they feel inside. They can't handle not getting what they want. They can't handle just accepting what is. That's a toddler and infant's way of relating to life. And for whatever reason, a lot of us are stuck on some degree in that place where we just can't wrap our minds around accepting the circumstances of life. And so all we can do is behave like an infant or a toddler and you know, scream and hit other people and hurt ourselves and sabotage and so on and so forth. But if you want to be free from that, you want to be free from trauma, you want to be free from betrayal, you want to be free from emotional pain, somehow, paradoxically, the solution is to say yes to it. Just like, right, we're going to bring all of our sickness to the surface and acknowledge it and not hide it there and somehow that releases us from it so bring it to the light of your awareness the light of your consciousness say i am sick right or i am i am experiencing this without identifying with it necessarily but just acknowledging it that you know there's this like craziness thing happening inside of you but the thing that like we said that's acknowledging the, the insanity that is sanity acknowledging that <laughs> so you know, it's only a toddler that is going to act out because they can't deal with what they're feeling. So once we start to practice the philosophy of saying yes to life, and Stoics would call that like a more faithy idea of loving your fate, whatever happens to you. I think Nietzsche actually is the one that came up with that term. But it is also a stoic practice. Nietzsche is definitely not a stoic person. Nietzsche, right, is someone who was also insane, you know, based off of like Western standards. And I remember in a philosophy class, someone was saying he's an interesting person to read because you never really know at what point you're listening to someone that has actually completely lost their mind. Uh, nonetheless, what they created was very brilliant in a lot of ways. But the idea of a more faithy, the idea of we're loving our fate, whatever happens to us, this is like a profound, uh, empowering way to walk an armor, to use philosophical armor. This idea that whatever happens to me is what I need, and I embrace it fully, and I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to say yes to it, and learn from it, and accept it, and welcome it and work with it and embrace what's happening and it will forge me into the person that I need to become for the highest transcendental benefit because transformation and transcendence is not a pretty process it's just not it's a process of like ripping apart everything that you thought you were and rebuilding it for the better and this idea, right, that if you are not just the sculptor, but also the sculpture itself, that is going to be a painful process. You know, chiseling yourself out of marble or whatever. So, this is uh, an important thing to think about, this idea that, like, we need to say yes to life. We need to love fully what happens to us and accept it and welcome it and understand that it's a childish and immature thing to act out. And it is in our best interest to accept fully what's occurring. And I mentioned, right, that Nietzsche was insane. And 
that kind of reminds me because I watched this thing one time with Ken Kesey talking, who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is like a, a great a great book for kind of the theme of what we're talking about in this podcast, this idea, right, that, you know, Ken Kesey was at Stanford. He was a wrestler, and he underwent LSD experiments by the CIA, MK Ultra, and then he started to take peyote, and he was, like, working at a mental hospital or something like that. He wrote the book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, at the mental hospital based off of, like, things he was observing there when he, he would take peyote there. And the whole premise of the book is basically that, like, most people in the mental hospital aren't actually crazy. They're just not socially well-adjusted. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I wasn't planning on talking about this. I was going to mention, I had written to talk about this other thing Ken Kesey had said, which I'll bring up in a moment. But I wasn't planning on talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But it's actually, it fits in perfectly, synchronistically with the rest of this podcast. Because the same idea of, like, you're not really sick. There's nothing really wrong with you. You're just not socially adjusted to a sick society very well. And so then you think there's something wrong with you. So there becomes like this hypochondriac situation that leads a person to a state of like chronic neuroses and imbalance, which then results in them going to a mental institution. So it's just an interesting thing to think about, like that this idea has been going on for quite some time of people recognizing that, wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with people oftentimes. It's just that like they're not able to be fully institutionalized and if you're not fully institutionalized then you literally have to institutionalize them right if you're not able to be someone that's like happy working in a cubicle then well we're going to lock you in a padded room with a straitjacket and ken kesey just talks about how a lot of people uh he was observing was like there's nothing wrong with these people they're just not they're just not normal they're just not like good factory workers <laughs> They're just outside of like socially accepted standards. And so we're going to look at them like they should be locked up. And, you know, that's a very uh, interesting reflection. And the thing that I originally wanted to bring out with Ken Kesey was he said after taking LSD, he was like, you know, I wasn't sane, but I wasn't insane. I was more like this third thing with third thing which is unsane. <laughs> I thought that was a good way to put it. This idea that you're no longer uh, you're no longer confined by the cultural limitations and norms, but you're also not sick. It's like you're somewhere you're just somewhere else. And so he just says I'm unsane. And I think that just like how can we redefine what's happening within our mind how can we t find a way to label to 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 free ourselves from our labels maybe that's a better way to put it because we label ourselves as depressed or anxious or paranoid or bipolar or schizophrenic or whatever the situation is and then you create a disease out of it the same idea of like what the thinker thinks the prover proves whatever you think you're going to manifest and so if we can find a way to redefine or free ourselves entirely from labels, recognizing like, yeah, I'm not crazy, but I'm not sane. I'm unsane. <laughs> and then if that's the approach, then it's like, 
yeah, okay. We don't need to institutionalize an unsane person. We just need to allow them to paint a bus in crazy colors and, and ride on the roof of it and, and get a bunch of people and do a bunch of social experiment pranks on people and play some cool music and everything's fine, you know? Like, how can you be an effective artist and be sane or insane? You know, you have to be unsane because you have to be able to channel the connection to the visionary state. You have to be able to harness it, right? Because... Joseph Campbell says, the mystic swims where the psychotic drowns. And so the artist is essentially, in a lot of ways, both, because they're drowning in perhaps their situation, internally speaking. But at the same time, they are, they're taking that pain and they are channeling it and focused, directing it into a specific construction that requires a lot of awareness and consciousness and self-control. So they're kind of like in between things because they're not just gently swimming on the surface, right? <laughs> that's I wouldn't say that's what an artist is doing. Most artists that I've met tend to be a little bit more unsane, right? They're not really swimming, but they're not drowning. They're kind of like they're trying to they're going back and forth between things, you know. And this is we think about it, like Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison. And, Kurt Cobain, these people like super profound art that came out of them. They all died before they reached the age of 30. And so obviously they were able to do something that was uh, not normal. Like they had some capacity, but at the same time they were drowning. And at a moment that overtook them, but they weren't insane you couldn't you can't say they're insane because it wasn't just like coherent gibberish or things that came out of them i mean to play the guitar like hendrix like the level of like self-control and mastery and focus and dedication and perseverance and awareness like that's obviously at a very 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 high level but person winds up drowning in themselves anyway so this is uh an important thing just to understand is like as we traverse these states of consciousness it's like how do we not drown how do we keep ourselves afloat and you know art becomes like a vehicle in that process and i really just love this thing kinkizi says about it's like the person is unsane <laughs> that is a more helpful way to frame things uh and to keep us outside of the sick society's way of defining who we are. And another way that we can, in a lot of ways, fight back against cultures by taking responsibility. If you think about it, one of the primary issues with our culture is like lack of responsibility. Like you ever drive on the street and just watch people throw trash out of their car it's like okay wow we're not really taking responsibility when we do that are we and uh from the same stoic podcast i heard the quote you are only as sick as your secrets i heard this other story about victor frankel who I talked a lot about on this podcast uh, who survived auschwitz and he said that when you arrive on the east coast as an immigrant, you see the Statue of Liberty. 
which is like freedom you've arrived embrace freedom and it's like this very beautiful thing as an immigrant he says because he's coming from i actually i'm not sure he probably came from poland i'm guessing i don't know to be honest but he came from europe and uh he said though while there's a statue of liberty on the east coast on the west coast they should build a statue of responsibility <laughs> i thought that was funny this idea that there should there needs to just there can't just be uh what is it unrestricted freedom there must also be responsibility that comes with that freedom and you know responsibility to others and this idea of like okay if i'm able to find empowerment and freedom but what about everybody else what about uh creating healthy community healthy social structures to protect people to keep everything um in balance with nature and i don't think there's too much that i want to say about this because i think it's kind of an obvious thing but it's just this idea of like there should be a statue of responsibility there shouldn't just be a statue of freedom we need to have the balance together we need to have those two things in alignment and you know in a lot of ways if you really want to be like a revolutionary figure in my mind taking responsibility is actually a very um effective meditation that will guide you into right action because that to me is something that really holds people back from making a sustainable difference it is like taking responsibility like okay if i'm not going to initiate a change then who will okay what do i need to do to be the person that initiates a change just meditating on how can i take responsibility you know, if there's something that feels out of balance in the world, <laughs> or five billion things, whatever it is, then, uh, you know, take it upon yourself to be someone that will journey inward to understand solutions, because our solutions can only come from an inward meditation, and we cannot rely on outside authority or power structures to give us the answers and like this is something interesting I've learned from my my teacher, my Sherman Wells, that like the answers are inside me, not him. And like that's this is something that he's tried to convey is like that we want in our community to create empowered adults that are capable of you know thinking freely and making conscious and wise the choices that are oriented in the direction of freedom and responsibility it's like we don't want to be dependent on an external authority figure if we do that then well what do you do when that authority figure is gone oh no i'm totally incapable of making any choice i will become a passive consumer of the next thing that uh, can fill that role and like that's obviously not oriented in the direction of freedom and responsibility that's an abdication of those two values so this is an important thing is like recognizing like one we're not sick two we're human like everybody else there's dimensions of consciousness within us that are uh, infinite vast and it is up to us to bring meaning to them and to integrate them into society and that we must take responsibility 
and understand that it's not just about becoming free. Because, like, if you ever go, for instance, like, to a rainbow gathering or something like that, you see people that are like, yeah, because that person's free from the traditional definition of it. But you can see, like, through a lack of taking responsibility for their health or caring for other people or a lot of things, the person's deeply, deeply lost. It's like, okay, that's not real freedom. So real freedom in a lot of ways is also has a lot of constraint to it, just like discipline is freedom, this idea, you know, discipline is destiny, the idea of like that. It's through constraining ourselves and limiting ourselves and uh, refining our character in the direction that we're going that we're actually going to find an expansiveness that feels like this is where we want to be. So I'm going to leave this podcast here. Um, yeah, you know, just to kind of give some closing thoughts on the whole thing. Like stream of consciousness is a deeply liberating experience for me. And as I do these podcasts, it's like, okay, I'm just kind of going to speak what comes out. And it's like, this is in a way, in a version of my art. I'm also a musician, do other things, but this is like, uh, this is my talk therapy, right? Because we, as someone that is not of the norm myself we need to find ways to create our own definitions about what the hell is happening in life like I, I don't need to hear what a therapist is telling me about life well that's not true sometimes I do <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is like as an artist you know define what's happening create what's happening around you otherwise you will be stuck in someone else's creation and definition of things and it's like it's it take empower yourself to create the world around you by by uh, ex-girlfriend who interviewed on the podcast is super epic artist uh sculpture artist she said something one of her favorite quotes was we don't need to find ourselves we need to create ourselves or rather life is not about finding ourselves it's about creating ourselves and um that i think is like in essence the approach uh, or rather the perspective I tried to bring forth on this podcast from things like with Black Elk and Kinkizi, the idea is we need to create the person that we want to be. And we need to find a way to um, express ourselves and bring forth the depth of who we are beyond um, what the outside world, which is a dying world, as Terrence McKenna says, is trying to label upon us. So... Take initiative, take responsibility, become free, utilize the freedom of what use is freedom if it only brings you uh, so far. It's through responsibility that we're going to fully activate its, its complete expression, in my opinion. Um, and I think Gandhi is a phenomenal example of that. He freed himself from a lot of things, but then it was through taking responsibility for the liberation of India that he really became like, wow special profoundly free in a way that like i mean figures of history stand he stands out in my mind at least so that's the meditation is how can we best combine the forces of freedom and responsibility controlling our character and not falling victim to a profoundly sick society Okie doke. Thanks for listening. Hush, hush. Don't be lazy.